And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. With talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or just starting your day, welcome to the show. For Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Dan Mandis. This is Red Eye Radio. And the phone number remains 866-90-RED-EYE, 866-907-3339. And I host a morning show in Nashville, Tennessee. On Super Talk 99.7 WTN, you can find out more intel on me. I'm the Dan Mandis Show Facebook page. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Last hour, we were wrapping up a topic. I didn't get to uh, finish everything I wanted to say about it, but it's all about it's all about equity grading, equitable grading, where kids who are achieving incredible scores on their PSATs, they're actually not being notified. Because that would mean that they would get all kinds of accoutrements. They would get all kinds of rewards for excelling. And, of course, the woke left and the woke school boards in this woke society that we're in can't have that. We we can't actually reward people who are excelling. No. We actually have to be hostile towards people who achieve, even kids. Because what's going on is when you... When you have scores that are in the upper 3% on the PSATs, you get all kinds of benefits like scholarships and and all kinds of things. And so if the school says, well, we're not going to tell those students or those parents that excelled, then we're not going to all in the name of equity because they don't want to hurt the feelings of the kids that didn't work as hard or, quite frankly, aren't just as smart as the kids who excelled. And I'm sorry to put it that way, but I think that in in America today, there are some facts that need to be addressed. There are some facts that need to be uh, addressed, and, and that is that there are some people, there are some kids, there are some adults who are not as smart as other ones. It doesn't mean that they're better than the smart ones, if you will. Put the word smart in air quotes. But it doesn't mean that they're better. It just means that they're different. People excel at different things. But if you have somebody who has worked really hard to score high on the PSATs and they're not told thereby they don't get the scholarships, that's not fair. But unfortunately, there's a certain contingent in our society that just doesn't seem to care about all that because of this equitable grading. So here's what that is. 
because of this story, there's a lot of people that are now looking at this story and the fact that it really points into it really focuses on the fact that we here in America, at least some, are encouraging kids not to excel. So the National Review did a piece on this whole thing, and they say that the principal in this story, this particular story, out of Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Alexandria, Virginia, she's the one behind this in this particular school, but we are seeing this all across the country. And so the principal, her name is Anne Bonitabius, and she has been lobbying extensively to incorporate equity-based policies at this particular school, which, by the way, was ranked by U.S. News and World Report as the nation's best high school in 2022. So by all means, do your best to change it. But during the summer of protests following the murder of George Floyd, this principal actually emailed students and parents urging them to consider the privileges you hold that others may not. She sent that in February of 2022. What kind of message are you sending to kids when you send them a note like that, an email like that? You are obviously trying to do everything you can to be as divisive as possible, in my opinion. A federal judge acknowledged that Thomas Jefferson High had altered its admissions processes to restrict the number of Asian Americans in a bid for racial diversity. We've heard this story time and time and time again. So part of this equitable grading, and this is this is something that is uh, taking part all across the country, is eliminating the zero to 100 percent grading scale. There's no penalty for mixed missed assignments. Students can actually retake tests if they do poorly the first time. Turning in homework on time literally does not matter. And you cannot earn extra credit. And class attendance and class participation no longer matter. It's all in the name of equity. You know who turns in their homework assignments on time? Kids with good parents. You know who turns in their homework on time? Kids that care. And so when you have a system where turning in homework on time doesn't matter or you're not allowed to earn extra credit and class attendance and class participation no longer matter, that is just frankly bizarre. And you're setting up a situation where kids who are you know, not forced to go to school and not forced to turn in their homework, what kind of kid is that going to be that that is then going to turn into an adult and go into the workforce and doesn't want to do the projects assigned or doesn't want to show up for work? In my opinion, you're creating monsters. Educationnext.org says this kind of equity grading is a way of correcting historical imbalances and eliminating biases in traditional grading that have posed barriers to success for students of color and those from low-income families. They say grading should no longer reflect factors that students may not have control over, such as whether their afterlife school is conducive to finishing homework. Now, I would have to ask, what kind of life is that? I mean, you go to school, and then you're a kid, you go home, and you have homework. Now, I will tell you that when I was a kid... I had jobs, I did sports, and I did my homework. 
So this whole thing seems like, one, you're coddling kids because of, I guess, their race. And you feel like they can't possibly handle going to class. They can't possibly handle doing their homework. They can't possibly handle the challenges that uh, they are facing in school. And I would say that's racist. And so they say that this is all about subject mastery and not about things like homework, etc. So at the end of the day, as long as you know the subject and you can pass the test, then all of that other stuff doesn't matter. But my question is this. And by the way, there is a very healthy debate about this. But if they're changing the grading scale, how can you really tell if someone has actually mastered the subject? I mean, it sounds like if some dude wanders into class on the last day of school or the day of finals and takes his test and passes that test, then he gets that grade regardless of any other aspects of the class. And how do you know that kid isn't cheating? How do you know if this kid truly understands it or not? But that's what it sounds like. And so some districts have actually tried this equitable grading and the results, to be perfectly candid, haven't really been all that great. Some say this really is uh, too new of a, of a policy to know if it's going to work, as they say, to scale, because it is just so new. So you've got some of these schools that are implementing this and the, the kids who are uh, having to force, uh, being forced into, you know, utilizing this kind of a grading scale, this equitable grading, it's like they're guinea pigs. Because what if they realize, yeah, this isn't working. We've got all of those kids that have gone through this kind of grading scale that have now been subjected to something that doesn't work. And by the way, it can also be seen as unconstitutional. Because if school districts are doing this to specifically help students of a particular race, and they have said that that is exactly what they're doing, this could be a violation of the civil rights of white kids. That's what's going on in an Illinois high school, where there has actually now been a lawsuit filed. So to me, there's so many different problems with this equity training, or I should say uh, equity grading, this equitable training and, and, and an equitable uh, grading, and it's not going to benefit the kids, at least in my opinion, in any way, shape, or form. Let's see what uh, Noel or Noel in Lynchburg, Virginia, has to say on this. Uh, thanks for calling in. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I understand all of that because I was a teacher for over two decades. I taught at the elementary, middle school, high school, and collegiate levels. So this is definitely in my wheelhouse. Um, you're right. It is not fair. But I would stand and say fair doesn't really enter into it. It's just not right. Um, but the question that I beg to ask, and someone needs to really look into it, mm-hmm. is did the school benefit by those scores? Because everything in Virginia uh, that deals with the schools is attached with money. So if the child does well, you get more money. Mm. If they use, if they use that for their financial benefit, but denied it to the one who actually earned it. Well, hey, let let me ask you this: um, 
you, you heard me present, you know, all this uh, equitable grading and how the kids don't have to show up for school and they don't have to turn in their yeah. homework and all that. So as a teacher, somebody that's been on the front lines of all of this, is, is there a way to tell if a kid actually has mastered the subject in this kind of an environment? Uh, yes. But it would require the teacher not to be drinking from the poison fountain either. Mm. Um, I, as a teacher, you have to know your material first off. And I'm beginning to see in many cases that there are a lot of teachers that, that don't really know their material well enough to understand whether or not the, the student is actually picking it up. A prime example of that was when I was teaching high school, mother came to me and said, my child has to have algebra. She has to pass algebra. This is the third time she's taking it. I said, well, that's not a problem. I said, just make sure that, you know, she raises her hand when she stops understanding. Right. This child has sat through that class so many times, but none of the teachers previously could actually figure out why she wasn't achieving. We got into about six weeks, and all of a sudden that little hand went up, and she said, I do not understand. I got them all wrong. I looked over at it. I diagnosed the problem, and basically it was the fact that she didn't know how to manipulate fractions. I said, honey, you're great at algebra. You just stink at fractions. And I said, it's going to take a while for us to get this resolved. She says, how long? I said, 10, 15, she goes, days? I said, no, minutes. The problem is nobody was enough of a math mechanic to understand how to fix what was going on. So we need teachers that really understand their material very well and how it messes up and how they would have to correct it. Well, no, 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 let me ask you this, no, because I'm I'm running out of time. But the the students that the school is trying to protect, I guess, with this equitable grading, they they talk about how this is all about, uh, you know, race and this kind of a thing. Do you think because I'm not buying into this, but do you think from your vantage point, this will actually help the people that the schools are trying to protect and trying to help? with this kind of grading no. scale? Primarily, no. I, I, was vic- I was victimized with this, too. I was called in. They said, more people have to pass your class. I said, but they can't pass the SOL test, the state test. They said, don't worry about that. You get them through your class, we can get them through the state test. Really? Okay. Wow. So I went in there. Said, yeah. I said, how many of them do you want passing? They said, 75%. I said, done. So I walked into my algebra class, and I said, look, I got some good news and bad news. They said, what's the good news? I said, the good news is 75% of you are now going to pass algebra. I said, wait, wait, wait. And I held up my fingers. I said, this many out of this many. I said, because I know you're not really that good in math. I said, however, there is bad news. They said, what's the bad news? I said, you still won't know algebra. It's a lie to tell them that they're doing okay. And the sad part is, Nolan, I've got to run. Uh, the sad part is majority of those kids probably didn't even care and neither did their parents and neither did the school. And I appreciate your call. It's uh, Red Eye Radio, 866-90-RED-EYE, 866-907-3339. You may not be able to predict blizzards and ice storms, but you can prepare your truck to handle them. Make sure your truck is prepared for any last-minute winter storms by keeping tabs on your tires before each trip. 
Proper tire traction is essential year-round, but especially during winter when the roads are slick and roadway behavior is unpredictable. Protect your tire investment with routine checks and pre-trip inspections all winter long. Check pressure levels, tread depth, and inspect for any visible damage or debris stuck in wheel components. Look for steam or melted snow coming off wheel hubs, as this could indicate your wheel bearings are overheating. If necessary, give your tires a warm wash before inspecting them, as snow can cover potential warning signs of damage. This report brought to you by Lubrifiner, engineering filters that are built to do more for heavy-duty fleets since 1996. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Eight six six ninety red eye is the phone number. Eight six six nine zero seven thirty three thirty nine. Dan Mandis in for Gary and Eric. They return next week. And right now, Barbara is calling from Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, Barbara, you're on Red Eye Radio. Good morning, Dan. So glad to speak with you. I, I appreciate like you calling to, in. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. I would like to address how this equity issue, as well as other individual woke or Democrat liberal policies relate to the overall agenda of changing our American society and politics. I see everything such as this equity issue in school and how it affects that younger generation. I see all of this as different steps that have been going on since the 60s, the 70s, to change our society in such a way, following Saul Alinsky's Rule for Radicals, Karl Marx's policies, to change the elements of our society into such a way that we will accept the socialization of America, perhaps the communization of America. We don't know what that's fight Is it going to be Marxism? Is it going to be communism? We don't know that at this point. But we know that we are the victims of a multi-generational plan that the liberal Democrats have implemented since Franklin Delano Roosevelt and before then even, but especially since Roosevelt. It's been a very systematic step-by-step progress through the years to change our society, to destroy family values. To do that, you got to break down the family elements, implement a welfare program that will encourage a lot of births outside of marriage. Yeah. Pay them yeah. for doing that. Well, and, and Barbara, let me, Barbara, let me ask you, um, you know, I'm, I'm 55. I don't know how old you are, but one of the things that I'm noticing is that this line of thinking by the radicals isn't so radical anymore. You're right. It is becoming normalized and more and more people, because yes. of this wave of wokeism, more and more people are accepting the the tenets of socialism. And it, a lot of this yes. is based on, obviously, a love of socialism, a jealousy of those people that have achieved and theft of people's accomplishments and uh, money. I mean, that's what it 
all comes down to and that everybody should be treated equally, despite the fact that some people just flat out accomplish more than others. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that we need to treat people who don't accomplish as much poorly. But what I am saying is just this is a fact of life in America and that some people are more successful than other people. It's just a fact of life. And and that is why we have a society and we have an economy where people do want to achieve and people do want to learn and people do have an initiative because what they want to do is they want to have money. They want to have a fancy car. They want to live in a good house. And there are people in our society, the Democrats, who absolutely hate that about America. And it's really sad. And Barbara, you are absolutely spot on. This is part of that. Thanks for calling in. Phone lines are open. 1-866-907-3339. 866-90-RED-EYE. Now, for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, here is Dan Mandis. Appreciate you listening. And uh, coming up here in mere moments, a horrible story out of Milwaukee. And it's the story of a 10-year-old boy that shot his mother, killed his mother, because she wouldn't buy him a VR headset. It's it's an interesting story, and I think there's a, a bigger point to be made. I'm going to get into that uh, very quickly, but first of all, I want to get with uh, Jennifer in Battle Creek, Michigan, talking about equitable grading. Jennifer, thanks for calling Red Eye Radio. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Um, Go ahead. I, I believe that it that equitable grading is racist. I believe, too, that if kids already are going into junior high and high school and they're entitled, this will make them more entitled, so they'll be worse to work with outside of that once they get a job. And it doesn't just hurt those who are doing well. It will end up hurting those who don't do well. I had a hard time taking tests in school because I had a hard time retaining information and also, I, I found out I was legally blind just before I graduated from high school. So I'm so glad this wasn't around when I was in school. It would have been horrible. Yeah, well, I, it sounds like you're doing well now. But I, I will tell you that when it, it comes to this equitable grading, uh, I got a whole bunch of emails, which, by the way, if you want to email me, it's dan at 997wtn.com. I host a talk show in Nashville, Tennessee on Super Talk 997wtn. So that's where you can send me a note. And... People are saying that you look at the younger generation, you look at 17, 18, 19-year-old kids that are coming out of high school and and coming out of college, and just as uh, Jennifer said, they are entitled. And earlier in in the broadcast, I was telling you about a woman that actually makes a crap ton of money by teaching kids to talk on the phone, by teaching young adults to talk on the phone. Because they've been so enamored by their devices and their texting and their, you know, emailing, probably to a lesser extent, 
that they literally don't know how to communicate on a telephone. And so companies have now thrown up their hands and said, you know what? We have no choice. We have to bring this woman in and pay her thousands of dollars to teach our employees to literally talk on the phone. And so it's all kind of related. And then you look at this story out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It is a sad story. It is a horrifying story of a 10-year-old kid who was charged with fatally shooting his mother dead for refusing to buy him a VR headset. You know what he did? He asked his mom and his mother, Kiona Mann, or Kiona Mann, 44 years old, and the boy wanted a um, a new VR headset. And she said, no, it's 500 bucks. I don't have the money. This kid shoots her in the face, then uses her credit card, I guess, to buy it online. And so I, I read this story and I think, one, I, I feel terrible for the family. But then I start thinking about my own experiences with my kids and with my nine-year-old stepson, bonus kid, whatever you want to say. And we all have the same issues. We all have the same challenges as parents, which is, you know, going in, if you have a small child right now, you know that these devices are problematic. You know that online And kids spending too much time online, virtual reality, social media, gaming, and all these things, they can lead these kids down a road of peril. And every parent knows that. And if you don't, well, now you should. And so you hear about this horrible story of the mom that said, I'm not going to do this. I'm putting my foot down. And the kid somehow gets a gun and shoots her in the face. And you feel sorry for the family, you feel sorry for the mom, and you think, what could have been done to prevent this? And I don't know what the answer is. The easy answer is to say, never let them get addicted in the first place. That's what the easy answer is. Never get them, never allow them to become addicted in the first place. Now, just to add to the horrific story, The aunt, her name is Rhonda Reed, and she was interviewed, and she says that, yeah, you know, it's possible this kid, who, by the way, 10 years old, is going to be now charged as an adult. And she says this kid really doesn't even realize or understand the gravity of what he's done. From juvenile detention, Rhonda says her nephew has told her he's blocked out what happened that morning and shifts the conversation. When he calls, um, he's just like, make sure like all of my tablets and my laptops and everything that is mine is properly packaged. Do you think he should be charged as an adult? Um, That's a really difficult question. I do understand how they were able to come up with that. Um, that type of charge. He needs to pay for what he done. Yeah, that is um, the first voice you heard was the aunt. The second voice is the mother of the victim. He is being tried as an adult for first degree reckless homicide. 
And it would be really easy for me to say, you know, all you have to do is when you notice that the child is becoming addicted, you've got to take action right then, right there. And you need to begin limiting the access to whatever it is the kid is becoming addicted to. Because we know that these kids today, they are so incredibly preoccupied with their gadgets. And now this kid was so incredibly addicted that when he didn't get his way, he shoots his mother in the face. And again, this is from the Daily Mail. The Milwaukee boy is charged as an adult with first-degree reckless homicide. We'll have to wait and see what happens with this case. But to me, there's a number of different issues here. Number one, I I don't know how you charge a 10-year-old as an adult. I don't understand how you do that. But I understand that this kid killed his mother, and he does need to understand the circumstances and the consequences of which he faces. The boy's grandmother says that she cannot bring herself to speak to him telling the outlet that I hope I can speak to him one day, but right now she can't. He took something that is very precious. Now, to add to the complication, this 10-year-old kid had been attending therapy for more than a year for something called mood and conduct disorders, and part of his treatment plan included limiting access to electronics devices. She said that the boy was upset about these devices being taken away. I mean, this is a story that I think almost everyone can relate to because almost everyone has had the problems that this mom was dealing with, with the addiction to these devices. And it does make you feel really bad for the mom. But then there's some hardcores that will say, well, all she had to do was dot, dot, dot. And you know what dot, dot, dot is. All she had to do was put her foot down. All she had to do was tell her kid, no, there will be no more devices. There will be no more virtual reality because you are addicted and this is unhealthy. But it's always so easy to say, isn't it? Now, I will tell you that in my own life, not only with my nine-year-old stepson, but with my my kids that are now grown, I have had these battles ad nauseum. And you do get to the point where you just have to say, when you start to notice that they're becoming addicted, you have to simply say, no more. And you know one of the things that I've noticed? I think this is actually interesting. One of the things that I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, is that we had a situation in my house where the VR was broken. The the Oculus game was broken. And so, you know, the the little nine-year-old in my life, little Riker, he suddenly didn't have his game to play with. And you know what we noticed? Once he understood that the game was broken and that he couldn't play that game, It was almost like, okay, what's next? And we started playing board games and we started playing, you know, Uno and we started watching movies together again. And it was almost like he realized that 
yeah, there is a life beyond this headset. There is a a reality beyond virtual reality. And that reality includes, wait for it, his parents and actually living life and taking the dog for a walk and, again, watching movies and helping me cook eggs and bacon in the kitchen. It was like he had rediscovered a whole new world. And what's interesting is his VR is back, but these days he is spending more time in his actual reality than virtual reality because he really was forced into that recognition that perhaps he had become a little too um, intrigued with the virtual reality. But this is something that uh, I, I think just about every parent can relate to. 866-90-RED-EYE is the phone number. 866-907-3339. My name is Dan Mandis. We'll return next on Red Eye Radio. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. Eight six six ninety red eyes the phone number, 866-907-3339. Hey, coming up in the next hour, we are going to uh, talk a little bit about Dr. Anthony Fauci, which, by the way, thank the Lord, he'll be retiring after the first of the year. But there's a lot going on with the doctor and Twitter, Elon Musk and that whole thing. So uh, stay close because uh, big news on Elon, Fau- on Elon Fauci on Dr. Anthony Fauci and Elon Musk coming up straight ahead right here on Red Eye Radio. Now, there is a number of other things that are going on, including, of course, we did a a deep dive yesterday into what is going on on our southern border, the Title 42 uh, reprieve. Thank you from the Supreme Court. I want to play you this piece of audio uh, from this uh, guy on CNN, and it's actually comical. And the reason why it's so comical is because, you know, you have these media outlets who try to portray themselves as uh, purveyors of truth and reality when in reality uh, they are nowhere near reporting what is really going on. And they do that in a number of different ways. It's not only what they tell you, which can be complete lies, but it's also what they don't tell you. And they do this in their reporting, and they also do this with the guests that they book for perspective and analysis. They were talking about the border, and they had this guy on. He's talking about the southern border. He is an ACLU lawyer. His name is Lee Gellert, and this is what he said about what's going on on the southern border. You hear people saying, well, this is a national security crisis. If you would see these families at the border, and I know CNN has been down there all the time, these families walk over the border and they just sit down with their little children wanting to apply for asylum. They're not bringing drugs. They're not a danger. Wow. So this guy, and by the way, again, he is a he is an ACLU lawyer. And he's also lying. And the numbers don't lie, and everyone knows what is going on on the southern border. And so clearly for CNN, some incredibly biased reporting, but it's not really all that surprising. By the way, this is from Fox News, a big headline here as uh, we have absolutely no idea what the hell is coming across our southern border. 
This was um, posted last night. Twice deported MS-13 gang suspect on El Salvador's most wanted list has now been arrested in Virginia. Yep, that's what's coming across our southern border. And so when you have, uh, you know, the the brain trust over at CNN reporting. You hear people saying, well, this is a national security crisis. If you would see these families at the border, and I know CNN has been down there all the time. These families walk over the border and they just sit down with their little children wanting to apply for asylum. They're not bringing drugs. They're not a danger. Well, here's the thing. And CNN, apparently, um, they're not wearing their reporter hats lately, which is bizarre because... On the one hand, you know that they're trying to become more newsy, more just straight line news. But then they have analysts, put that in air quotes, analysts like this that say, oh, these are just families that want jobs and, you know, they want better life for them and their kids. Well, there's no doubt that there are some families, many families, most families that are like that, but also lurking are people like this, wanted criminals and murderers that are coming across our southern border in big-time numbers. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio, with talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or just starting your day, welcome to the show. For Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Dan Mandis, this is Red Eye Radio. 866-90-RED-EYE is the phone number, 866-907-3339. Well, if you paid any attention to the media today, you know that uh, COVID seems to be back, and so are the flight restrictions. Chinese travelers will have to test negative to be let into America. So a lot of people that that I've been speaking to, uh, they're telling me that their feeling is, they've got this, this feeling of doom, like, oh no, here we go again, uh, more COVID, we've got China, uh, travelers now from China going to have to test negative to be let into America. A lot of people saying that it's deja vu all over again. The Biden administration will require airline passengers traveling from China to test negative for COVID before entering the U.S. As concern grows, that widespread transmission of the virus in the world's most populous country could result in new variants. What do you mean could? I mean, I don't know if there is any doubt about what's going on. I mean, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's been happening in China, but they, they've had the, the the nation locked down for really the better part of, of several years. They've got this zero COVID policy. And so that leads to just massive, massive lockdowns. I mean, I'm just going to give you one example. And, and I mentioned this earlier in the broadcast You've got entire apartment buildings, and if one person or one family in one apartment comes down with COVID, the entire building is quarantined. And it got to the point where they were welding people inside 
of the buildings and they were locking locking them in. And a few months ago, they had a massive fire and people couldn't get out and they were killed. So they have been, they started having these massive protests and the uh, the president of China, Xi Jinping, he had a no crap moment. And so now all of a sudden they're letting all of these people out. And all the restrictions are going to be lifted. Part of that is allowing people now from China to travel across the world. Now, here's one of the things that I do want to point out, just so you know, that I know. Now, what is going on right now, or at least what we suspect is going on right now in China, it does sound very bad. You know, they're saying that the... You've got hospitals and funeral homes that are being overwhelmed, overrun. And so what better time for Chinese President Xi Jinping to allow people to travel the world? It's like he's using it as a biological weapon yet again. Because if if COVID is running rampant in your nation, well, by all means, allow people to fly around the world. And so that is why... President Biden is initiating these uh, restrictions where people traveling here from China will have to test negative to be let into America. Airline passengers flying through Incheon International Airport in South Korea, as well as Toronto Pearson and Vancouver International Airports in Canada, they're going to have to test negative for COVID before heading to the U.S. if they were in China 10 days beforehand. Now, there's a few things you need to know. Number one is you know that China is incredibly secretive. And so we really don't know what's happening. We really don't know what China is once again unleashing on America and the world. And that's why I say that you could make the argument, and I will and have many times, that China knows exactly what they're doing. They know that their economy is in tatters. They know that they are having a lot of problems within their own nation. So why not bring down all the other nations in the world down to their level? So what's going on in China is they produce some vaccines that, frankly, were not very good. And so that means you have all of these people that have been locked in for years. They're barely vaccinated. They've been shut in. So they don't have the natural immunity to COVID built up. And they don't have immunity to anything built up right now because of the years of shutdown. Because, you know, you have natural immunity that builds up. And so you're locked in and you don't build up that natural immunity to COVID or anything else. And so now you have all of these experts that are saying, oh, crap, all these people are being let out of their homes. This is going to be a breeding ground for all kinds of new variants. And once again, China has stopped telling the world about their COVID issues, pretty much a media blackout. So we don't know what's going on. They're also not testing like they once were. So we really don't know what is being unleashed on the world. I mean, they also won't give us any information that they may already have. So there's a lot here. One of the questions is, is it too late? 
to put forth this testing mandate from people in China coming into America because it begins on January 5th. That's when the restrictions begin, January 5th. Well, this morning, it is early morning on December 29th. So that's like, what, six days? You know how many people are going to be flying in here from China in the next six days? I'm just going to tell you a lot. I'm also going to tell you that this thing is probably already here. Whatever it is. Around 75 flights arrived in the U.S. from Beijing alone between December 26th and December 28th. Upwards of 250 flights from China's capital may already have reached the U.S. before the order goes into effect. So a lot of people are saying it's already here. It's already too late. Another story related to this in Italy, Milan is reporting that 50 percent of passengers on some of these Chinese flights have covid. So now Italy is going to have rampant covid cases as well. And they're going to be coming here, too. So this is like deja vu, as I said, all over again. And so now Italy is sequencing these tests to see if the new variants are coming from China and what's in these variants and what we can do to stop these variants, because we're not going to find out from China. Germany is also closely watching the situation, as is the U.K., Here's what else they say. Well, the high rate of passengers with the virus has put authorities on alert. One factor in Italy's favor is its high vaccination rate. More than 80 percent of the people are fully inoculated in Italy, according to the World Health Organization. And many have also received booster shots. It's a similar story across much of Western Europe. Now, you just heard what Joe Biden is doing putting these restrictions on people coming in here from China, saying they have to test negative to be let into America. Well, I will remind you what Joe Biden said about Donald Trump when he did the same damn thing way back in 2020. Coronavirus emanated from China. A national emergency, you know, worldwide alerts. The American people need to have a president who they can trust what he says about it, uh-huh. that he is going to act rationally about it. Right. In moments like this, this is where the credibility of a president is most needed, as he explains what we should and should not do. This is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, hysterical xenophobia, to uh, and fear fear mongering. So. We need to, he tweeted this the next day. Well, whoever tweets for Joe Biden said this the very next day. By the way, are you like me when you hear Biden speak? This was a few years ago. And you can tell that he's still like barely awake. And when he's like, hey, Joe, wake up. Got a microphone in your hand. Wake up, Joe. And it's only getting worse, but that's beside the point. So Biden tweeted the next day, we need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia and fear mongering. So Biden is doing today what he accused Donald Trump of being xenophobia, xenophobic and the rest of that three years ago. 
Now, it does stand to uh, reason that Biden understands that he made a mistake when he accused the former president of being xenophobic, of being, you know, laden with hysteria and the rest of it. But one of the things that you listen for when you're in my position is you listen to some of the specific nuances of what people say. Like, for example, Joe Biden. I can tear that quote apart piece by piece, especially with where we are today, with not only this new emergence from China, but also what we have now found out about Biden and his silencing of those who had opinions counter to Dr. Anthony Fauci and his administration. The American people need to have a president who they can trust what he says about it, that he is going to act rationally about it. Really? In moments like this, this is where the credibility of a president is most needed. So let me ask you a question. How much credibility does President Biden have? And when he talks about, you know, a president being rational and so forth, this is a guy who forced Americans to get vaccinated. He told us we wouldn't get COVID if we got the vaccine. Ultimately, we know how that turned out. His administration deliberately targeted those who expressed concerns about his policies of lockdowns and mask and vaccine mandates. He destroyed the credibility. He destroyed their careers, their reputations, and their lives. That's what Joe Biden did. That's what Dr. Anthony Fauci did. So when you hear Biden say, well, you need a president with some credibility, I would like to ask the question, how much credibility does Joe Biden have after what we have gone through for the last three years? At the hands of his administration. He accused those scientists who disagreed with Ian Fauci. He accused those scientists of wanting to kill people. His administration worked tirelessly to stifle any countering to his demands on social media. The mainstream media, of course, followed suit as well. You know that. And to this day, Joe Biden refuses to hold China accountable, refuses to even ask the question about what happened or what's going on right now where COVID came from and why China won't participate or cooperate in any kind of an investigation. So when Joe Biden says, In moments like this, this is where the credibility of president is most needed. Well, I will tell you that Joe Biden has absolutely zero credibility when it comes to COVID or frankly, anything else. 86690 Red Eye is the phone number 8669073339. Those who are sick and tired of the cold weather across the central and eastern United States are in for a pleasant surprise over the next few days as the Christmas week cold snap gives way to warmer temperatures during the last week of 2022, according to USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. We've already seen a market warming trend in most of those areas, just a little lingering cold along the East Coast. But over the next few days, there will be uniformly above normal temperatures east of the Rockies, and that will be accompanied in some areas by locally heavy precipitation. While rainfall is expected to be beneficial in several parts of the country, 
Local flooding in parts of the Great Lakes is possible as rain mixes with melting snow accumulations. Unfortunately, one area of the country that does not look like it will receive much precipitation over the next week or so is the nation's midsection, one of the driest areas of the country, including the drought-stricken central Great Plains. I'm Rod Bade reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The USDA report is brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium Highway Diesel Fuel. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Red Eye Radio, 866-90-RED-EYE, 866-907-3339. You know, a, a few more points about this whole uh, China COVID situation is, is don't panic. Uh, two words, don't panic. It's important to note, we have seen this kind of reporting before about new waves of COVID. And oftentimes they turn out to be not nearly as bad as originally thought. I will also tell you that experts are really split on how bad this could be. I think it does say something that uh, the president is now beginning to institute restrictions and testing for people coming in from China. But, you know, is anybody else suspicious of of China where they have this covid uh, rampant in their country, yet they're silent on any stats or information? And here they are suddenly allowing people to uh, travel. Now, one of the things that's going on over Twitter is there's a lot of conversation going on. They have these things at Twitter, and I don't know much about them, but they're called Twitter spaces. And what's going on is actual conversation about COVID, which, as you know, was not uh, allowed before. Remember this? Attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me. All right. So that is Dr. Anthony Fauci, as you know. And Dr. Fauci has been really, really criticized, as he should be regarding his response to the coronavirus. Let me play one more soundbite as I try to find my voice. Stand by. This is Corinne Jean-Pierre. These attacks, these personal attacks uh, that we have been seeing are dangerous uh, uh, on Dr. Fauci and other public health professionals as well. Uh, are, they are disgusting and they are divorced from, uh, from reality. And uh, we will continue to call that out and be very clear uh, about that. Again, these are incredibly dangerous, these personal attacks that we are seeing. You know, so I I guess the question is, are the attacks on Dr. Anthony Fauci, have they been personal attacks? You see, because I don't think that they have been. I I think people are responding to Dr. Anthony Fauci's policies and the policies that he advocated. I mean, we're talking about mask mandates and vaccine mandates and lockdowns. And that has nothing to do with Dr. Anthony Fauci personally. That has everything to do with Dr. Anthony Fauci and related to his policy decisions. 
I mean, I'm not really surprised that Corinne Jean-Pierre doesn't really understand that because, you know, let's face it, she's not the sharpest tool in the shed. She's not the brightest bulb on the porch or whatever it is. But everybody is now attacking Elon Musk like he is attacking Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, one of the things that I would say is it is ironic that Dr. Anthony Fauci, looking back on his comment about you attack me, you're attacking science, that it was not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, but it was also the mainstream media as well. So everybody understands that when Dr. Anthony Fauci said, you attack me, you're attacking science, literally, part of the definition of science is that everybody has an opinion, and your opinion has got to stand up to peer review. And Dr. Anthony Fauci and what he did and what he wanted to do at the time, there was no peer review allowed. Do you know what Twitter, there was an actual internal Slack channel called the Fauci Fan Club? Yeah. And so that's why it is so incredible to see Twitter now where they have these Twitter spaces where it's like a big old chat room. And it's a celebration of freedom of speech. And it really is a big conversation going on about what happened with COVID in the past and what's going on right now. And we desperately need that conversation. Lines are open. 1 866 907 3339. 866 90 Red Eye. Now, for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, here is Dan Mandis. You know, I think one of the things that is so impressive about these Twitter spaces where they're having these big conversations with some really big names in these Twitter spaces, it's like a big old chat room. And some really impressive names have been in these Twitter spaces, including, by the way, Elon Musk. Can you imagine Dr. Anthony Fauci participating in these Twitter spaces? No way. And so the big story may or may not be what is coming from these dialogues, these dialogues on Twitter spaces. And by the way, these aren't like 20 minute monologues or these these aren't like 20 minute discussions. This is like thousands of people listening, many people talking for hours at a time. So Twitter and every opinion, for the most part, every opinion is welcome. And there's no way that Dr. Anthony Fauci would ever do that. And so one of the things that Elon Musk, and by the way, Elon Musk himself has been participating in these Twitter space conversations as well. But one of the things that he tweeted was this. Anyone who says that questioning them is questioning science itself cannot be regarded as a scientist. Gee, I wonder who he's talking about. 
the tax on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science mm-hmm. because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me. You know, it's it's interesting that he says that the um, things that were pushed back on were inconvenient truths. But what have we found out? We have found out, and, and folks know this, and we don't have to go through all this every time we bring up Fauci, but he was wrong on a lot of stuff. And one of the things that um, the Twitter files, the Twitter dump, has been uh, exposing was the fact that the things that Twitter was censoring, they were true. In other words, for I'll give you an example. So the um, the lockdowns, you know, the Barrington Declaration where everybody knew that the lockdowns would have a negative impact on society. And it was true. Everybody knew that it was true. But it was an inconvenient truth because it was counter to what uh, to what Biden and Fauci were striving for, which was complete and utter lockdown. So it's interesting that he said that his truth was inconvenient to his critics when in reality... You know, now that we're farther away from that quote, it turns out that his critics, their truth was inconvenient to him because they were right and he knew that they were right. Or somehow he has been just incredibly wrong and he's just not willing to admit it. But either way, I love the back and forth between uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci and Elon Musk. A couple of other things real quick. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre had this to say about the uh, the good doctor who's about ready to retire. He has given uh, his almost entire career to civil, to civil service uh, public ser- as a public servant. You know what? You know what's so funny? What's so funny is Corinne Jean-Pierre, she knows that what she is saying is complete and utter BS and she can't even get it out of her mouth. He has given uh, his almost entire career to civil to civil service. She, she can't even say it. She can't say it with a straight face. Dr. Anthony Fauci is worth twelve point six million dollars. So it's not like he's this low paid public official who has just been, you know, blindly but proudly serving the federal government. This dude has been lining his pockets for years. He has given uh, his almost entire career to civil to civil service. It's such a noble cause. A public ser- as a public servant. She, she can't even say it. Uh, his work on infectious disease from HIV AIDS to COVID has saved countless lives. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he has, uh, you know, we, we are fortunate, I should say, that he has devoted his career right. uh, and his life uh, and his exceptional talent to the America's uh, public health to America's public health, uh-huh. and that's what should be uh, discussed right now. That's what we should be thankful uh, to him about. Well, nice, nice try, KJP, but man, what BS! He's worth twelve point six million dollars, at least according to OpenTheBooks.com. He makes four hundred eighty thousand dollars as he begins his retirement. Of course, more than the president. His wife, by the way, also makes a crap ton of money. She's a chief bioethicist. She makes more than the vice president at almost 
$239,000 a year. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for the free market. And if that was, that's what, you know, the government pays Dr. Anthony Fauci, and then he's able to go out and write books and give speeches and receive awards and all that, and he's got apparently some pretty good investments as well, then that's what he's worth. But don't sit here. I would say to Corinne Jean-Pierre, don't sit here and try to talk about how how noble Dr. Anthony Fauci is and how he's just some humble public servant. Give me a flippin' break, man. By the way, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, he's going to be very busy because, of course, you know, the Republicans are going to be launching all kinds of investigations into his handling of all things covid Come January. So we'll have to see what happens. But I will tell you that uh, we have not seen the last of uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, one of the things that um, has to be continuously spoken about these days is uh, what is going on with illegal immigration. And earlier in the program, I was able to and I just had a little bit of time, but I was able to touch on uh, some horrible things that we're finding out about some of the, some of the people that are coming over our southern border. Now, this is not really a, a surprise by any stretch of the imagination. More details on this twice deported MS-13 gang suspect on El Salvador's most wanted list. He has been arrested in Virginia. And so, of course, the question has to be asked, OK, so we still don't know. Who are these folks that are coming across our southern border? A fugitive listed as one of El Salvador's top 100 most wanted criminals was arrested in Virginia earlier this month, despite despite being deported to his home country, not once, but twice. Dude's name is Herberth, Herbeth. Bonilla Garcia, 40 years old, he was taken into custody on December 1st by officers with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Departments of Enforcement and Removal Operations. So they caught him, but how was he able to get in here yet again? Well, we already know because the border is wide open. And, you know, I, I do wonder when I'm doing my, my show prep, I do wonder if we know, we know, we know, we know the border's open. We know that, you know, bad guys are coming across the border. Is this the kind of topic where people simply don't want to hear about it anymore? I don't know. But every day the story seems to get worse and worse and worse. We had fun with this uh, ACLU lawyer, Lee Gellert. He was on CNN and uh, he says, oh, yeah, these people coming across the southern border, they're just nice people. Yeah, that's what he said. And one of the things that CNN did during this segment, they didn't correct him. And it's always so stunning when, when you see these kinds of things. It's always stunning that they don't correct their guests when they come on and, and they give absolute falsehoods you hear people saying well this is a national security crisis if you would see these families at the border and i know cnn has been down there all the time these families walk over the border and they just sit down with their little children wanting to apply for asylum they're not bringing drugs they're not a danger right i mean he's certifiably a liar 
there's no other way to uh, say it. Now there's this story, because we know the Title 42 has been extended. This is from the New York Post. Migrants assembled in Mexico hatching plans to cross the border after Title 42 is extended. Because what have we been saying for a long time? I, I mean, I, I've been saying this, and that is that the Biden administration has been breaking down Remain in Mexico policy, of course, Title 42 as well. They've been eliminating any obstacle they can to illegal immigration and illegal immigrants coming into this country. And so that's why we are seeing the numbers that we are seeing. And so now in the border city of Juarez, NewYorkPost.com, asylum seekers say they have risked everything and spent every penny they have to get to the U.S. One woman showing the post wounds on her feet from walking hundreds of miles to the border and a man showed a monkey bite sustained during his perilous journey through the dangerous jungles in Central America to get to the border. And now they are concocting these plans. They're devising these plans to come in, even if Title 42 is extended TFN. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more straight ahead. It is Red Eye Radio. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio, 86690 Red Eye. That is where we find Adrian in Virginia on Red Eye Radio. Hello, Adrian. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing, sir? Great job, by the way. I love when you're on, when you're on man. I enjoy your, your content, your, what you bring to the table. But I called you for this science thing, but I want to touch on this immigration thing because I'm, I'm very close to it. But, you know, people don't realize that science is subject to change. I mean, I, you know, we, we find plants that we think that are 10,000 years old. We realize they're a million years old. You know, later on was more study. I don't know why no one ever questions or says that, that, you know, yeah, there's some science that is stable probably and it's the way to go. But everything we've learned about science is always subject to change. And I don't know yeah. why nobody questions that. But on this immigration thing, man, I grew up in Texas. My mom grew up in Laredo, Texas, which is a border town. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a, it used to be a very touchy subject to me, but as you said right now, nobody cares until it hits their community. That's that, that's the fact. I live in Virginia now, but I grew up in Texas. I lived in California. I lived in New York. I lived in a lot of communities across the country. And I'll tell you just straight up, nobody cares if it doesn't affect them. Until, until, until like, like my god sisters who got snatched up in Mexico and never seen, seen again, that's a true story. I'm not making that up. It, it, it happened to my godparents. Um, they lost both of their daughters to the cartels. Um, but in all reality, no communities, I, I live in the country now in Virginia, in the middle, central Virginia, in the woods and in the mountains, but nobody cares. N- nobody cares about immigrants until illegal immigrants until they get to their community and start taking their resources, schools and such. It, it, it's a subject that I, that I used to be very passionate about, the subject that I used to care and fight, fight against. But you know what? As a Latino, grew up, grew up seeing what I saw. No one's going to make a big deal. The governors in Texas, Arizona, all these governors that, since I've been a kid, I've been talking about stopping these, these folks from coming in. Has, has it happened? It, it's all, it's just a big industrial complex. This, 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 this battle, I hate to say it, and I hope it's not a losing battle, but that's what it is. 
we, we need to figure out other sources or, and, and hear me out, we need to find a way to get those people to become conservatives. There's never a Republican or a conservative voice out there that finds a way to communicate with these folks and say, okay, the Democrats are going to give you all these things, but look, your faith, your morals, your values are conservative, but no one wants to talk to these people. It's like if they talk to them, they're against the Republican Party, which is not true. If we don't find a way to start re- reaching out to these folks and teaching them about America and what we're about, really about, we're going to lose. No, yeah. no one wants to touch this subject, but I'd like to hear your opinion about that. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. I think you're right. And maybe if uh, you want to call back tomorrow night, I'm just about out of time, but maybe have a deeper dialogue. And Adrian, if you're around tomorrow night, call me. We can have a deeper dialogue to figure out a way to engage with those people that are here illegally. I mean, part of that conversation, of course, then goes to amnesty and voting. Do we allow them to vote? You know, just all of those things. But I think ultimately, yeah, that's one of the big questions we have to uh, we have to ask ourselves as a party is one. Nobody wants illegal immigration. Sadly, it just keeps happening. They just keep coming thanks to the Democrats. Now, if you're a conservative and I am, and Adrian, you you obviously are. You support legal immigration. And as we know, legal immigrants, they oftentimes, you know, you've got a lot of uh, Democrats there, but you also have a lot of Republicans. And so I think that for the Hispanic community specifically, we have seen, especially in Florida, we have seen a lot of success in bringing them over to the right side. Thanks for calling. 866-90-RED-EYE. My name is Dan Mandis. This is Red Eye Radio. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market. Rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.